Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. And I'm really excited about this podcast because um, I met this gentleman uh, virtually a couple of months ago and I realised he was a font of knowledge all about neuroscience, basically, and neuroleadership in particular. Um, So I approached John and asked him if he would be willing to John Whitfield, who's currently well, you're training. You're actually this is almost a side point for you, John, isn't it? Because you're actually, you work for Royal Mail. Do you want to introduce yourself a bit? Yeah. Thanks, Lucinda, and thanks for inviting me on. I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, I, don't, I don't often get a chance to talk about the stuff I'm interested in because a lot of people just look at me and the eye, the eyes roll as much as say, oh, he's not on about that again, is he? But this is going to be good. Yeah, I, I'm, I work at Royal Mail as a training manager and heavily involved in learning and development. But this is something that I've uh, got involved in as a sideline, if you like, it's, I think in about 2016, I read a book that had a, a, a chapter on, you know, how the brain alters performance. And I was hooked since then. And ever since then, I've read everything I can get hold of, TED Talks. Uh, I must say that um, I'm not a neuroscientist. I've, got, I've read a lot of books written by neuroscientists. And so I, I, this is all stuff as I understand it. It's, I've not done any of the research, unfortunately. I wish I could have done, but unfortunately not. So we're sharing knowledge that's gleaned as opposed to saying that you're going to be there. And there's a disclaimer that comes with the information, Definitely, but there is yeah. the information, isn't there? So, yeah, so you've got interest in neuroscience. And I say you, I know that you know a lot about it just from an ad hoc conversation we had, but we thought we'd focus on a few specific points, didn't we, in terms of, um, in terms of neuroscience and, and what might be relevant to this audience. And I suppose, yeah. actually, I know we were going, we're going to go and talk about sleep, but I thought maybe because we're recording this in the afternoon, aren't we? And we were just having a conversation yeah. where you were saying what the right time of day it is and whether or not we're going to be able to um, give of our best, because actually at half three in the afternoon may not be the ideal time. And I think lots of people know that to do with circadian yeah. rhythms and stuff. But why is there, yeah. is, what's the link with neuroscience for that? Well, yeah, it, and, it, and it all links with sleep as well. But we're, as you say, we'll, we'll, we'll revisit sleep in a moment. But we've got we've, our brains made up of various different parts. And, and, uh, and we've got uh, a part of the brain which is called the prefrontal cortex, which sits behind our forehead, really. And that's our part of the brain that gives us all our rational thought. It gives us the opportunity to talk like this as normal sort of everyday people without getting overly emotional we can decide we can plan we can do all the stuff we can, we can make critical decisions you know it's, it's what they call the, the, the chief executive officer of our brain it's the bit that you know makes everything tick however it's not very efficient so on any given day from the time we wake up to the time we go back to sleep we've probably only got three or four hours of good stuff in our prefrontal cortex which is why it's really, really important to prioritise your day properly, because if you don't, you're in trouble. Now, prioritisation itself 
is an incredibly draining task on the brain. It takes a lot of thought to decide things. And whenever you make a decision, it takes away some of that energy from that part of the brain. So, so what, what neuroscientists have said is you need to set up your day intelligently, brain friendly. So what's the first thing we normally do when we turn on our computer, Lucinda? People do things like emails, don't they? And sort of email. Definitely. Now, maybe social. We look on emails and a busy person like yourself, when you turn your laptop on, you've probably got quite a lot of emails that require either replies or reading or something like that. By the time you've got through it, you've lost probably quarter or half of your potential in your brief prefrontal cortex. And that's before you get onto the daily stuff. So what neuroscience is saying is do the important tasks first during the day. Prioritise your importance. So if you've got, say, you've got an important pitch to give to uh, investors, for instance, or there's a project you've been working on that you need to deliver to stakeholders now, uh, th th today, do that first. Get that sorted first because your brain will have the energy to be brilliant. The, the longer you leave it, the harder it becomes. And we've all felt that when we're looking at something and we find it so difficult to concentrate and we go in and then the next thing phone makes a noise and we look and we look at the phone that's because your prefrontal cortex has lost the ability to become the break the prefrontal cortex we have on the side the ventral lateral prefrontal cortex which is behind the temples these these act as a break so whenever the phone buzzes if it's first thing in the morning we can ignore that quite quite happily later in the day when everything's tired we'll give in and we'll just look at it and before you know it We've got, we're looking at emails. And once, once we lose that, once we use that, lose that concentration, it can take anything that scientists say, anything between 25 minutes and an hour to get our brain back to where we were. So it's really, really important that we, we prioritize our day intelligently. So as, as I said, on, when, we, when we were talking earlier, I said half three, I've had a very busy day. I've been involved in calls, designing things, and all that sort of stuff. And I, my, I feel tired. So I was thinking to myself, wow, I, I hope I've still got enough energy left in the prefrontal cortex to give you something um, relevant. But also, once the prefrontal cortex gets tired, the limbic system takes over, which is our emotional side. Now, you might say, well, what's the problem with that? Well, the limbic system hasn't got a break. And so when you're, at the, when you're at the mercy of your limbic system, you're more likely to be emotionally hijacked. So a, a naughty email comes through at half three, four o'clock in the afternoon, it's much more likely to trigger you than it would do at nine o'clock in the morning. And you're more likely at four o'clock in the afternoon to reply very quickly than you would do first thing in the morning, which causes issues in the workplace and things like that. So you'll always, you'll always know if you're, if you're dealing with somebody who's had a busy day and, you know, possibly you're talking about performance or something in the workplace think to yourself is it really the right time to do it? can it wait till the next day because neither of you are going to be in the right place to have a good quality conversation about what needs to be done because a you can't decide you've got no energy left b your limbic system saying i'm going into fight or flight mode and then c before you know it you you've, you've, you've replied to an email in the heat of the moment or you've said something on a conference call that can't be unsaid and it gets a bit messy lucinda if i'm honest so, yeah, that's why we have to kind of prioritise a bit wisely. <laughs> it's interesting because, I mean, I, I, I'll pass that. My, my query on that will actually be, um, yeah. how does that relate to people who have perhaps considered themselves to be morning people or, or evening people? Because certainly Aye. I find myself, 
Um, I naturally I do try to avoid going to my emails first thing because my best time of day is first thing in the morning. So that's when yeah. if I've got to write something or do something creative, um, I will try and do that first before I have to go and do things which are um, less just more t- less taxing, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah. So that so I naturally will do that. But that's I've always considered it's because I'm more of a morning person. I certainly couldn't do it later on. But I do hear some people would say that they have better times of day like, late on, which actually that doesn't really make sense if it is to do with their executive is it executive function would you call it that as well that the yeah, term for this? yeah it is yeah the executive function absolutely right now yeah people have preferences you know people will have a preference and say, oh, well I, I prefer to do this early in the afternoon or or late at night and that's fine if that works best for you that works best for you you've your brain will have, have, have created a process where it knows where the best time so it'll understand it may well understand that it'll save a little bit however everybody's brain is the same so if you fly it first thing in the morning with 100 emails and then a couple of whatsapp messages and facebook and twitter and all that by by 10 11 o'clock you're thinking wow and then when somebody drops something in your desk and say they've got a really interesting project can you can you have a look at it and get some thoughts back to us by two o'clock please you're looking at that thinking i don't know where to start i really don't know where to start and that's because your brain's fried your prefrontal cortex has gone <laughs> I'm going out, I'm going. Now, what you can do, uh, you can alleviate that a little bit by going outside, get some fresh air, get some exercise, which oxygenates the brain and, and, and feeds oxygen into the prefrontal cortex. Taking some glucose, which the, the, the brain is um, only about two or three percent of our body weight, but it takes 20 percent of the glucose that's available to us at any given time. So the eggs are very energy hungry and you can do that or you can have an app. And I think Google famously put sleep pods in their offices. Uh, I'm not sure if they're still there, but they did some research and said if people can have a nap in the afternoon, it makes them more creative later on. So, yeah, there are preferences, but generally everybody's brain works the same. So that would recharge it. you quite literally clearing your head if you go out for yeah. a walk or something yeah. like that or sleep. If, 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 you, if, you, if you ask any, any doctor or neuroscientist or anybody involved in peak, peak performance, they will always factor in naps. Right. OK. I'm, I'm absolutely hopeless at naps. I've never been able to do that. I don't know if there's a, a trick to it. Um, but let's talk about sleep then. But so, so yes. how does how does that um, affect our, our ability to function effectively? Well, you, you get these people, you get the high the, the high performers who say, I only need four hours of sleep and I and I can doctor on. And that's great. But the, the scientists scientists say that you've got more if, if you you have got more chance of being hit by lightning than being of one of those special people who can actually survive on that much sleep. In general, we all need between seven and nine hours. Eight, we average out, we'll say eight hours. Everybody gets that per night. They're in a good, they're in a good place. But whenever I do leadership development or, or anything like that, and I say, right, what, what, what's your daily routine look like? Everybody says to me, well, I get up at five, I'm out for six, I'm at the office for half past bloody blood. Great, but your day doesn't start there. Your day starts the night before time you go to bed because that's the time where your brain is getting ready for the next day because when you go to sleep you've got you've got five stages of sleep you've got four stages of what they call non-REM which is non-rapid eye movement and you've got the rapid eye movement at the end of the famous the celebrity of the sleep cycle I like to call it because everybody's heard of that and each cycle works on a different set of brain waves and it cleans the brain it cleans the brain it gets rid of all the what we call the plaque from that we have stuff called cerebrospinal fluid 
It's half three in the afternoon. Struggle to get over there. Cerebral spinal fluid goes throughout the brain and washes what they call brain plaque away. Um, and it does that. Now, if you're only getting two cycles of sleep, um, normally a cycle of sleep lasts about 90 minutes. So you go through the five stages in about 90 minutes and you'll always, the final stage is always REM, REM sleep. If you are only having two cycles instead of six or seven cycles, you're not getting the cleaning you, you should have. Now, famously, Margaret Thatcher and, and Ronald Reagan were both advocates of only getting four hours sleep a night. However, both famously uh, fell to Alzheimer's late in, yeah. late in life. Now, now, neuroscientists have linked heavily poor quality sleep with the onset of dementia. And, and science is really, really spending a lot of money on the study of that at the moment. And um, the World Health Organization has um, measured night shift work and they've calculated that it's a, a probable cars, carcinogen. Mm. Now, not a possible, a probable carcinogen, because we're not nocturnal beings. We're supposed to sleep at night and it throws everything out. So sleep is incredibly important in the realms because not only does it recharge the batteries, but it cleans the brain and also consolidates memory as well. So everything we if we're learning something, everything we've learned in the day is consolidated when we sleep. If we so loosened it. I don't know if you've ever been out for a night out with your friends and mm. maybe you had one too many. Not but for a while. Nobody, <laughs> nobody, no, no, yeah, nobody gets, but when, when you go out and maybe you've had one too many, and I wouldn't believe that you'd ever get in such a state, but maybe you wake up the next morning and think, I don't remember getting home last night or something like that. It's because your brain, you haven't slept properly. When you're, when you're in an alcohol-induced sleep, you don't sleep as deeply as you would do normally, which means your brain cannot consolidate memories. You don't sleep properly. You don't remember properly. That's why you have big gaps of what happened throughout the night. Now, in time, you probably get some of that back, but a lot of it will be lost forever. And that's because the sleep consolidates it all. And, and for me, if anybody ever says to me, what's one of the most important things you can do to be good is sleep, sleep efficiently. Because if you don't, it, you might not feel it today, you will you will get there and somebody who doesn't get the seven hours maybe gets four hours on just a one night they reckon it can cause the iq to drop by 10 points quite dramatic isn't it and also you feel more going back to the um executive function in the limbic thing you feel more yeah. emotional don't you if you <laughs> if you've not slept well if, if you if you're tired anyway your prefrontal cortex is, is not on it's not online you go offline and, and then you, you're at the you're at the you're at the, the, the mercy of the limbic system. And, and in if we go into Eastern culture back in the Middle Ages, they called it the elephant and the rider. And the limbic system was the elephant and the prefrontal cortex was the rider. Now you can see the different in strength there. So if the rider falls asleep on the elephant, the elephant's going to go and do what it wants. It's not going to be bothered about what the, what the rider now wants. So uh, that's why we can be very, very susceptible. when we You know, when they, they call it tired and emotional, Lucinda. Mm, oh, it's tired it, yeah. and emotional. Yeah. That's why you can be a little bit more emotional than you would be normally. And that's, and I'm, I've got six month old twins and I'm feeling tired and emotional <laughs> regularly. <laughs> I bet, I bet, gosh. Yeah, that's tricky. And, and so uh, in terms of, are there any tips for people to, yes. to improve that? Yes, there are. You, you, it's, it's very much like uh, trying to sleep train twins, actually. Um, you have to have a routine at, at bedtime iPad, I'm sorry to say it, everyone, but iPads, phones, blue lights, TVs, take them out of the bedroom. 
take them out of the bedroom because blue light, it's it's the equivalent when when the when the eyes see blue light and and uh, you know it goes through the brain. They just the, the brain thinks it's sunlight, so it wakes up. You think, oh, it's daytime. Let's wake up, and they recommend nothing, no blue light within an hour of bedtime. Mm-hmm. So take the phone out, take any distractions. Bedtime is for bedtime. So you go in, you go to bed, you turn the light off. Possibly you can read if you want, but they recommend you go in there, light off, have a schedule, have a routine for bed. Because what that does, as soon as you start your routine, your brain knows, ah, it's bedtime. I'll start the chemicals, start um, flowing around. Some of the chemicals are three, and it's very difficult to run out. Norepinephrine is one of them. And what they do is it starts triggering uh, neurons in your brain to say right bedtime start relaxing and then after a while these chemicals get together and you fall asleep and then you should do that naturally if you're doing if you're having to take sleeping tablets or anything like that all that's giving you is a chemically induced sleep and it's not as deep and it's not as good quality as it would do naturally so the, the tip the tip is have a routine at bedtime and get rid of your mobile phone because it just it will it will just destroy your sleep patterns mm. and we're also tempted to be on it all the time aren't we and the, one yeah. of the other things i think that helps um getting off to sleep i often have it is a hot bath a bath because there's something about yeah. your, your body cooling down um yes it's a trigger um going to sleep yeah yeah your body needs to be cool when you sleep mm. you cool down so we've all we've all been there in the summertime when it's really warm mm. and we can't get to sleep it's because when you sleep your body temperature will naturally drop i'm not sure of the exact amount but it will drop a certain amount and what that does it allows the body just to go into its its sleep routine and and everything starts to shut down and also if you've eaten if you've eaten reese before going to bed it's very difficult to get your to full natural deep sleep if you're digesting food Um, the body will will prioritize the digestion of food over sleep that's why sometimes if you had a heavy meal a couple of hours before bed, you find it difficult to go to sleep. So there's lots and lots of different things you can do. And they're like, you know what, it's, it's like um, a lot of the old wives tale are actually true. You see, you know, don't eat heavily before you go yeah. to bed, you know, all that sort of stuff. But the, the, the rule of thumb is four hours before going to bed is have you have your dinner and, you know, at least four hours before bedtime. And that should give you a good buffer of when you can go any tips for falling back asleep if you're someone who gets up who wakes up in the middle of the night yes get up go for a walk around the house start your route kind of start not i wouldn't say start your routine again but you know start you know get up and make it feel as if it's now bedtime again because if you just lie there and toss and turn all that's happening you're in you're in your brain your brain's got two two networks it's got the task positive network and the default mode network task positive network is that when you're concentrating um can i think of something that so if you're say you you're driving somewhere you've never been before you concentrate very hard on where you're going yeah that's positive everything else becomes irrelevant Mm -hmm. you know your phone could ring you might not notice it Mm -hmm. your default mode network is your is almost like your daydreaming mode it's all about thinking about yourself and what you've done generally your default mode networks make you think more negative stuff than positive but that's just so that's where you worry in the middle of the night i think get up get the task positive network in start think of something maybe get a hot drink or something like that Mm. not not caffeine no because caffeine will just well forget it caffeine's got a half-life of six six hours so you, you you won't sleep but do that 
and 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 don't just dwell in your in in the bed and think, well, I need to get back to sleep because the more you think about it, the less it will happen. So you have to try and get up, take your mind off it and then go back. And to re-trigger your routine. Okay, very good. That's <laughs> Great, thank you. So um, so then moving on, one of the other things we were yeah. talking about, which I suppose is a little bit about why you get those brain in the middle of the night or you get distracted, but also links to our prioritization um, yeah. is about multitasking. So we are all sort of yeah. we're being interrupted the whole time. We've got our phones yeah. and everything on our desks. We've got goodness knows how many um, apps and applications <laughs> open at the same time. Um, but that's yeah. not good for our brain. Right. No, I, I, I love talking about multitasking, Lucinda. I really do, because I think it's hilarious. The amount of people say, it's all right, I'll multitask it. And I'll, I just raise my eyebrows and think, you just won't do it as well as Not you could happen. do. So the, the brain, as we've talked about, to do anything, any task, we have to engage the prefrontal cortex. Now let's put that into some kind of, I don't know, let, let's, let's set the scene, if you like, to see what the difference is in how much information we can store in the prefrontal cortex compared to the rest of the brain. So if, um, let's say you were had some loose change in your pocket or your purse recently, half a dozen coins, say. That's your prefrontal cortex. That's how much information it can hold at any given time. How much? Inf- how many coins do you think the limbic system would be? Um, I'm guessing more. It's bigger, is it? Yeah. How about the total economy of the United States? Wow, okay. There's quite a difference. Or... If you had a cardboard box, which was a metre square, and that was all the information, the limbic system would be the Milky Way. Wow. It's, it, the difference in how much information it can hold is ridiculous. And this, this leads on to, in a bit, hopefully, we can chat about how top performers perform at the best, because it leads on to that. So when, we, when we're doing a task, we've got to remember that our prefrontal cortex can only hold about four pieces of information in it at any given time. We can all, we've all been there when we try and juggle things and stuff like that. We can feel it. It gets, it gets tired. You, you frown and you start frowning and, and things like that and, and things start to get difficult. But if you think of our prefrontal cortex, a task, it's, it's an elevator. And it'll only let one thing in and out at the same time. And that task, it'll only allow one task in, task in. So what we do is task switch very quickly. So we'll do five minutes on that, a minute on the phone, over here, we look at it. Boy, for you, you've done test, 10 tasks in an hour, but they're all rubbish, absolute rubbish. Some, I think somebody said somewhere that once we start multitasking, we go from an MBA graduate down to an eight-year-old in the amount of thinking we can do because we can't hold the information. We can only think of four things at a time, but we can only deal with one at a time. Whereas our limbic system can millions of things at a time. Now, and that leads on to why some of our, I I mentioned in the email is Roger Federer or or Serena Williams. How is it when the pressure's on and, you know, it's match point and they, they win more than not? Because what they do, they practice. And they take this decision making from the very slow, painful part of the brain into the very fast part of the old part of the brain. Because they practice, it gets embedded in a thing in a place called the basal ganglia, which is a several different parts of the brain. And this is where fast things. So when we're driving a car, we don't drive it with the prefrontal cortex, we drive it with the basal ganglia. We can do that and tune the radio, look out the window, talk to our friend, do whatever we want to do, because we don't have to think about it once it's down there. 
And what the really top performers are, they work that hard at practicing what they do, deliberate practice. It gets embedded in the fast part of the brain. So when it comes to high pressure situations, they're not thinking about it because it's already pre-programmed in them. Uh, and it's very, it, it's, it's difficult to do, but once you do, it can be incredibly powerful. But multitasking, yeah, it's, it's, it's only task switching. You only ever switch tasks. You can, never, you can only ever do one thing at a time. And it's interesting. Do you, would you say that's the same if you've got, say, the radio on in the background or music or something? I mean, I've, I find I can't actually listen yes. to things at the same time. I can, I can listen to podcasts if I'm going for a walk, but I suppose that, that at the end of the day, um, that's something that's not really multitasking because I know how to walk without thinking about it, right? Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, in working, I, I, yes. that's, I suppose, an example, is it? Yeah, any, any sort of interference, we call it, that goes in the brain, definitely. So say you've, you've driven you've driven to work and uh, you know the way, you don't even have to think about it. But when you get there, you've got to reverse into a particularly tight parking space next, next to a brand new car. Do you turn the radio yeah. off when you reverse? Yeah. yeah, because your brain will tell you, I need to concentrate. So you turn the radio off, I'm concentrating on one thing at a time. As it, and some of us even stick our tongue out while we're doing it because we really have to concentrate. And, 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 <laughs> and that's it. Where that coming from, sticking your tongue out? I, I don't, don't know. know. I don't know. But you... you, you you have to turn that radio, you get rid of that interference. Yeah. Because the or the kids, they, if they're talking to you, someone's talking to you, and I go, heck no, I've got to concentrate on this roundabout yeah. or something like that. Yeah. You've got to yeah. think about it. Because because your brain won't allow you to deal with the interference yeah. on the other side. Yeah, yeah. So it's, no, it's fascinating, but it's, it just shows that multitasking is a myth. And if somebody says I'm a great multitasker, all it says is they can do lots of things, not very well at the same time. Again, so it is about prioritizing again. So the things that, and, and the more important tasks, therefore, we'll do them when they're fresh and when you are able to um, avoid interruptions and things like that, so that you can actually focus and get them done in the shortest amount of time possible. That is the most effective way of, of getting it done. Um, so you yes. talked about um, Roger Federer and the, the, the top performers. So when you were saying about uh, that, so basically it's practice. You're saying that. Um, but how do they shut out the emotional just because they have practiced so much, they just don't switch on the emotion. You know, I think like a penalty shootout or people like, you know, they don't, they don't feel the emotional bit of it. Can you, can you drive your car if you're in a mood? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so the, it's so embedded. It doesn't matter what the rest of their brain is. It's an automatic, it becomes automatic, like breathing or eating or the heart rate or controlling our uh, temperature. It's, it's something the body does that they don't. So they, they can actually be thinking about what they're having for their tea that night and still win match point at Wimbledon because they've worked so hard. It's ingrained in their basal ganglia that it becomes an automatic function of what they do. And that's why that's what separates the really, really top people from the people who don't quite do. Because you always hear of those, those people who succumb to pressure. And that simply what it is, is just they haven't worked as hard as Serena Williams or Roger Federer to be as good as they've got. Mm. Unfortunately, talent is overrated. <laughs> so I'm just wondering how you might apply that to the workplace, actually. Yeah. So in, in terms of as if we are feeling under pressure, we might be. So it's, yeah. it, so it's about creating good habits then in terms of way you work, is it? It is. And I, and I always I always put it to I'm involved in learning and development and and when somebody comes in to do a learning intervention of whatever it is you know the business generally says oh that's great we've, we've trained them they can now do it but the learning happens away when they go and practice and whether it's having difficult conversations with their team or it's a process the more they do it 
the better they'll get at it and the more automatic it becomes in the future. So they don't have to worry about it so much. But yeah, it's a habit, habit, you know, it's a double-edged sword habit. You can have good habits, bad habits. Mm. And that's where your habits are stored in your basal ganglia. It's that cue response reward sort of cycle that comes from there. So you hear a cue, you do something, you get the reward of dopamine or oxytocin in the brain and, and, and stuff like that. But that's that leads on to other things, of course. Yeah, I guess yeah, we could get all about the <laughs> dopamine hits and onto yeah. various things. So then the final thing we thought we'd, we'd explore today yeah. is about change, really, because we're about yeah. to, we've been going through lots of change over the last year. Um, we don't like change. Is that again? Because is that linked to habit as being yeah. creatures of habit? Well, there's no pressure here, Lucy. Talking to somebody who's penned a book all about change. Not I, about the I've brain. Change sure though. I, get, <laughs> I make sure I get this right. Yeah, but the brain the brain doesn't like change. The brain will always take the path of least resistance. That's the way it's programmed to, to do that. And it doesn't like change. Um, it, the, the, the brain is a, predi a prediction machine. It's like it likes to foretell the future. So it likes to be able to see what's happening, the same thing. So when, when we go back hundreds of thousands of years and we all lived on the savanna, every day was pretty much the same. You woke up. You found food, you ate as a, as a tribe or as a sounds family. Sounds like lockdown, John. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> just like, and, and you go, and you go for, you go to, you know, you go to sleep at night. Unfortunately, our brain is still on, our brain is still on the savannah. It hasn't evolved. A hundred thousand years is not long enough for our brain to evolve. We need millions of years. Um, and unfortunately, our brain will not evolve to the 21st century until something like the 500,000th century or something like that. So when it comes across, comes across change, what that's telling us is some, that something's not safe. That it gives us a threat or... Uh, fight or flight response. Threat response, fight or mm. fight, mm. fight response, or freeze, because you can freeze as well. And because back in, back in the days of when we lived on the savannah, change killed you. It's as simple as that. So if, if you did something differently, generally something would go wrong and you, you would get killed by another tribe or you'd fall off a cliff or you'd get eaten by an animal or something like that. but our brain hasn't evolved so in the in the workplace now when something new comes along our brain still sees it as that life or death threat when it really isn't we can train ourselves out of that and we can say you know what we can we can reflect on things and reappraise things and make sure that you know we're not falling into the trap of the, the brain tricking because the brain will try and trick us and it will make us do things that are not in our own interest because it wants to keep us alive the brain is geared to survive but it's not geared to thrive we have to do the thriving ourselves so it's, it's really important that any change that we communicate it properly we un people understand why it's done and we're not doing change to people we do it with them but you, you know all yeah, but that makes sense. I mean, obviously, that's something that I advocate. I wouldn't have known there was a root yeah. in the brain, which makes sense. Tell me more about that. The statement you made there about it's not designed to thrive. We're there to survive, but not no. thrive. No, the, the brain is. The brain is. I'm just keeping. I, I've got my iPad plugged in, but it's still losing power, and it's on two percent, so which is really annoying. However, if I die, we're nearly there. If it disappears, um, we're still there. Um, yeah, so the brain, we, if we think back to the savannah, what was our brain programmed to do? Um, keep us alive, reproduce, keep our offspring alive. It's as simple as that. And that's it's still the same now, still the same. All we, are, all we are wired to do is reproduce, survive, look after our children. That's why our bond with our children is so strong, because we are, our brain, one of our fundamental human needs is to reproduce and look after them. However... 
that's all it looks for. If we can do that, the brain is happy. But we're not we're not programmed to thrive. We're not programmed to have nice houses and, and be psychologically well. Physically well, our brain will look after. Unfortunately, our limbic system has no thought for our psychological well-being. That's why sometimes we can do things and think things that are not in our own interest, um, which is, you know, we're going into the realms of quite deep psychology there. And I, I won't go there because, A, I'm not qualified, and B, it can be quite dangerous for people sometimes to talk about that stuff without having the, the, the correct knowledge. But what I'm saying is, is we have to work hard at being healthy mentally survival we'll do that we'll be scared of things the brain will do that automatically we will we will not take risks we'll have risk aversion a brain will do that automatically but it won't tell us for a second you need to be mindful of this this thing this situation it doesn't say you need to go away and take a rest or have some exercise all it will say is there's a threat be aware either fight or flight and, that's and we all have it to does. create those conscious we have to learn um, yeah. learn and create those conscious um, yeah, and that, that's why yeah, mindfulness is so so powerful and exercise and sleep because you do all these things and it, it's all about making sure your prefrontal cortex is online for as long as the, of your day as it can be uh and because that's easy. the bit that can because that's the bit that has the resourcefulness to think about our well-being is it and that's the bit that would allow us to to decide to recharge and look after ourselves our limbic system and our even older part which is a reptilian complex has no concern for our mental well-being none it wants to keep us alive and that's the only thing it's interested in our prefrontal cortex will do everything it can to keep us mentally well however it's only got a very small battery and it's that's the big conundrum. <laughs> so that's also about prioritizing the things that so let's say exercise um and other yeah. things that are going to make, make sure you prioritize those some people personally i'd better first thing in the, the day i know that my I can say if i haven't exercised by midday it's not going to happen i think probably no, my willpower is gone why is that because yeah because i can't make myself do it i'd rather i'd rather not because <laughs> and that's another thing about it motivation is not enough because you have to create a habit because yeah. motivation will always let you down because like you say if it comes to lunchtime you've got no motivation to it because your prefrontal cortex has already gone i've used enough today i'm, I'm not done. doing it anymore it's yeah. first in the morning your prefrontal yeah let's do it let's go and they always say always building habits and processes because your motivation will always let you down well, that sounds like a sensible place to conclude there, John. That was a yeah. great whistle-stop tour through this. I like There's yeah. other things I'd like to talk about another day, things like personality and, and stuff in, in terms of the brain. You, know, you, said, oh, yes. you have told it's, me all about that sometime. It's great. It, it, it fascinates me because everybody's got one, but we know so little about it. And it, it is. It's, it's The more we can understand it, I think the happier we'll be. I think the happier we will be. Yes, absolutely. John, thank you so much for being on the HR Uprising podcast and sharing some of your knowledge and good luck with your book. You're writing a book called 21st Century Neuroleadership. How are yeah. you getting on with that? I'm all right. I've given myself, I mean, you know what it's like to write a book, but I don't yeah. know how quickly you did yours, but I've given myself a good couple of years to do it. You know, I'm, I'm, it's not something I'm expecting to do quickly, but especially with this, because you have to do so much research to make sure you're getting everything Given right the topic that you're working on yes, yeah definitely but yeah it's good I, i'm i'm yeah just talking at the moment just explaining the different parts of the brain and what they do so but it, it's good for me i learn a lot while doing it so i'm enjoying it great so if anyone wants to join um, or connect with you i guess you're on linkedin aren't you i know because i'm linkedin there I've LinkedIn, got your details uh, and how else can they get you linkedin um 
that's probably the best way. Best so I haven't got a website. I'm fairly boring. I haven't got a web, website. <laughs> Get, contact me on LinkedIn and I will chew your ears off about it. Not a problem. <laughs> so, John, thanks so much. And I'll put your LinkedIn um, uh, details on, on the show notes. I appreciate you coming on the HR Uprising thank, podcast. Thank you, Lucinda. And you have a wonderful week. Thank you. And you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined-up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues, and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 